Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, December 3rd. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. A terrifying surge in the number of coronavirus deaths in the U.S., more than 2,800 lives lost to COVID-19 in the past 24 hours, as the number of people hospitalized rises sharply. On Capitol Hill, stimulus talks resuming as congressional Democrats make a key compromise in an effort to get Senate Republicans moving on an economic plan for the better economy. And President Trump creating chaos ahead of Georgia's upcoming Senate runoff election, as GOP leaders in that state push back against the president's unproven claims of fraud during the election. That and more today on U News. We begin with this. The U.S. fast approaching a total of 14 million COVID-19 infections. All this as the director of the CDC is warning that the worst of the pandemic is yet to come. Officials all over the country are urging people to stay home. Lorraine Casares has more details. The United States living out its worst case scenario. As of Wednesday, COVID-19 hospitalizations surpassing 100,000 for the first time. More than 200,000 infections recorded and the nation reaching a record 3,157 deaths, the highest daily death toll since the pandemic began. The CDC now warning 200,000 more Americans could die from the virus within the next three months. The director revealing that 90 percent of the nation's hospitals are in the red zone. December and January and February are going to be rough times. I actually believe they're going to be the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation. The CDC is renewing its travel warning, advising people to stay home and not to travel at all and avoid gatherings with anybody outside your own households for the remainder of the year. This as the White House Coronavirus Task Force issues its most urgent warning yet, telling everyone over the age of 65 or with significant health conditions, they should not enter any indoor public areas where anyone is unmasked. Also pleading with those under age 40 to assume they are infected if Thanksgiving involves anyone outside their immediate family. That's real stuff. That's not fake. And that's the reason why we give these kinds of warnings of what people need to do. Right now, 47 states are in the red zone. In Los Angeles, Mayor Eric Garcetti urging residents to stay home. My message couldn't be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Meanwhile, on the East Coast in New York, restrictions causing chaos. Thousands of people showing up to protest the closure of bars in Staten Island. You are destroying Staten Island business. Local people that need to work every day. And police in Long Island breaking up yet another massive party, this time with 500 attendees. And a new study is leading scientists to believe that coronavirus infections started in the U.S. as early as mid-December and not late January when the first infection was reported. Also on the vaccine front, Moderna announced Wednesday that it's going to start testing um, uh, its vaccine on children ages 12 to 17. So far, about a million and a half children have been diagnosed with the virus. Meanwhile, Dr. Anthony Fauci is saying he is meeting today with President-elect Joe Biden for the very first time. Carolina, back to you. 
Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. Now, coronavirus vaccines have to stay really cold, and a California hospital has a plan in place to safely store them. Cedar sinai Medical Center showed off its new ultra-cold freezers. This is where they plan to store vaccines once the FDA approves them for the public. Officials say the shots must be kept in below freezing temperatures to remain viable. These freezers can go as low as negative 180. 12 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 8 degrees Celsius. The hospital is a vaccine distribution site for Los Angeles County. And with more news surrounding upcoming vaccines, a number of medical, ethical and legal questions are now coming up. Luis Mejid has more on these potentially problematic issues. What yesterday seemed impossible was achieved in record time. In just a few weeks, vaccines for COVID-19 will be distributed across the country. You think people would be lining up, but actually many don't want to take them. Creo que no. The numbers are worrisome. At least 49% of Americans polled say they won't take the vaccine. Only 51% say they will. For Dr. Del Rio, one of the lead researchers of the Moderna vaccine, public reluctance is hard to understand. Thousands of lives are at risk. Would employers require workers to take the vaccine? The answer is not that clear. No está todavía muy claro cómo se Labor va. attorneys say employers in general can require immunizations, but only when they are essential to the business operations. Typically, that happens in places like hospitals. That is why many companies are still waiting for guidance from the federal agencies. In San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. And now to understand a little more on what's to come, we're joined by Dr. Kamara Jones. She's a public health physician and the former president of the American Public Health Association. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Jones. Thank you. Doctor, you sat on the CDC panel issuing recommendations on who should get the vaccine first. Can you discuss those recommendations and whether you think they convey the right priorities? So I am not a member of the panel, but I was listening in as an interested public. And um, I agree. So what they came out with was that healthcare workers and residents of long-term care facilities should be first in line. And I agree that those are among the groups, but I think that it shouldn't just be healthcare workers, but all essential workers, because we should, should get the vaccine to those who are most exposed first. Healthcare workers are certainly in the front lines, but they often have more protection than meatpacking plant workers or transportation workers or grocery workers. So I think that all of those who are exposed through their work should be at the front line. I also agree that our nursing home residents who make up 1% of our population, but 40% of those who are dying, I think they should be getting the vaccine early, but I think there are other people who are in long-term care facilities, like those who are in our prisons and jails and right. detention centers. So I think they also need to be very much at the front of the line. Now, doctor, a recent study revealed that not as many people over 65 years old have been included in vaccine trials compared to younger people. How concerning is that given that they will be first to be vaccinated? Um, it's concerning, and so we certainly shouldn't require anybody to take the vaccine. I mean, we shouldn't be coercing or cajoling anybody. Um, it's they. One of the vaccine makers has started doing some safety testing in 
people who are 55 to 75. Um, we haven't seen any of the phase three safety or efficacy data yet, so we don't really know. So what do I think? I think that if an older person agrees that they want it and the family also agrees that they should get it, then it's good to offer to offer to them first. I do not think that anybody should be required to take it. Now, doctor, the CDC only makes recommendations, but individual states will decide how to prioritize the rollout. Do you agree with that approach? No, <laughs> I do not. I, I think that we have so much expertise at the CDC and on this panel that's looking and reviewing all of the data. I think we need very strong national guidelines and national programs in terms of distribution. We need to to have a coordinated approach. That's been the problem with our whole approach to the COVID pandemic from the beginning, that you know, each governor and sometimes each city mayor, they're fighting with each other about what they're supposed to do. We should follow the strong public health guidance that we have, and we should have a national coordinated approach to all of this, to our prevention, as well as to our vaccine. Dr. Jones, Congress still has not passed any new coronavirus relief. As people wait for the vaccine to be widely available, talk to us about what steps you think the government can take to help those in need. So we definitely need income support. So whether that is another, what they call the stimulus check before, but really should be a safety check to everybody, we need to do that. Many countries have done that kind of thing in terms of, um, you know, furloughs paid by the UK government or you know New Zealand and all. So we can do that or we can do it in terms of a universal basic income or we could do it as enhanced unemployment insurance, but we need to be giving people income support so that more people can safely shelter in place. We also need to have the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, that part of CDC that does workplace safety, they need to have workplace safety standards. We need to cause the uh, increased production of PPE, as well as tests and masks so that we can protect everybody who has to go to work. There's so many things that the federal government can do. And then what we can do as individuals, we can make sure that we stay home as much as we can, that we mask up when we're in public, that we maintain at least six feet of distance from others, and that we wash our hands, all of those things. It's gonna take all hands on deck. This is very serious. The numbers that we're seeing right now are three-week-old numbers. This thing is moving so spread. When you look at people who have a positive test, that is a 10-day-old view of what's happening in the community. When you look at people who are hospitalized, that's a two- to three-week-old picture. When you look at people who are dying, that's a three- to five-week-old picture. This thing is spreading so fast. This is an urgent thing. We need to stay home, and we need the government to step in. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jones, for your time today, and those were great recommendations. Thanks again. Thank you. Now, the World Health Organization is updating their guidelines on the use of a face mask for areas where COVID-19 is spreading. The agency says people 12 and older should wear a mask both indoors and outdoors in situations where you cannot maintain your distance between others. Officials say even when a mask is properly used, they're not enough on their own. To prevent spreading the virus, people also need to sanitize their hands, physically distance, and avoid touching their face. Meanwhile, the pace of those looking for a job here in the U.S. is slowing, providing improving a sign that hiring is continuing even if it is doing so at a slower pace. First-time claims for unemployment benefits totaled 712,000 last week. That's according to the Labor Department.
And in Washington, Democratic lawmakers on Capitol Hill offering a new plan to help push their Republican colleagues closer to an agreement over a new federal stimulus. Edwin Pitti has the details from our nation's capital. Edwin. Hi, Carolina. A coronavirus stimulus bill is being negotiated on Capitol Hill right now, and it does not include direct payments for Americans. That's according to the Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, who has been in talks with the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Just yesterday, Mnuchin was asked if direct payments are dead, given they were not included in McConnell's proposal, and this is what he had to say. I would say at the moment they are, but again, that's something that can be considered down the road. Well, uh, look, as, as I've said before, there are things like PPP that, in my opinion, there's $140 billion sitting in the general fund ready to go out. There's other money that we haven't used. I, I would hope that we get something done quickly and we'll be continuing to have those conversations. Thank you all. Now Mitch McConnell is pushing his own version of a coronavirus stimulus bill, which he says has President Trump's support. But Democrats are supporting another proposal. We're talking about a $908 billion framework that would provide another $160 billion fund for states and cities, $180 billion for unemployed Americans, and $288 billion for small businesses. McConnell's package is considerably smaller than the one favored by most Democrats, but it's one that he believes can be passed before the end of the year. McConnell's stimulus plan has the support of Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Take a listen. What we propose would give universities and nonprofits the legal certainty they need. It would create a second draw on the job saving paycheck protection program to prevent more layoffs. And it would extend two important emergency unemployment benefit programs that were created by the CARES Act and which will expire in December without action. These programs have been championed by our Democratic colleagues, particularly the senior senator for Virginia, and we made sure they were included in the framework. I hope our Democratic colleagues will finally let Congress pass a bipartisan bill that the president will actually sign into law and do so soon. Like we just heard, Mnuchin is saying that those programs have been championed by Democrats and is arguing and letting them know that Congress need to pass a bill that the president can sign into law soon. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer says that he plans to talk with McConnell in hopes of working out an agreement by the weekend. Hoyer wants Congress to vote before or on December 10th so that members can return, return home and properly quarantine before the holidays. Meanwhile, President-elect Joe Biden continues to push Congress to work together and pass a stimulus bill before he gets into the White House. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you for that live report, Edwin Pitti. And now at the White House, President Trump hinted that he's running again for president in 2024 as he hosted a holiday reception. Meanwhile, in Georgia, Republicans are increasingly worried about the president's rally this weekend for two upcoming Senate races. They're concerned his visit could hurt the party's effort to keep control of the chamber. Andrea Linares has the latest. This was the scene inside the White House during a Christmas party last night. Guests packed shoulder to shoulder, lots of Christmas decorations, but very few masks. The gathering happening despite warnings from health officials saying the coronavirus risk is now at a historic high. We will engage in the celebration of Christmas um, and there, there will be a Hanukkah celebration as well. 
At the event, Trump spoke to his guests about his own political future, floating the possibility he may run for president again in 2024. Meanwhile, the White House releasing this 46-minute video. In it, the president continues to push his claims about election fraud, despite the Justice Department finding no evidence. The president also suggested he's concerned he may be prosecuted after leaving office, just as his allies are talking about preemptive pardons for members of the Trump family and even Trump himself. It's unclear if he can pardon Thank himself, but in Please. the past, he has said he has the power to do it. President Trump will also be traveling to Georgia this Saturday to rally for Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, both locked in tight races for runoff elections on January 5th. I mean, it's Looney Tunes. It's, the president's literally coming to Georgia to campaign for the same two senators that his two former lawyers who are filing lawsuits to contest the election with the same claims the president made in his very long 46-minute uh, video yesterday that have already been debunked. Trump's trip to Georgia comes as he continues his attacks on the state's Republican Governor Kemp and Secretary of State Raffensperger over their handling of the election. Uh, he's an enemy of the people, the Secretary of State. Raffensperger claiming that he and his wife have even received threats from Trump supporters. In more related news, President Trump's daughter and advisor Ivanka Trump has been deposed as part of an ongoing lawsuit from the Washington, D.C. Attorney General. The lawsuit alleges more than $1 million was wasted on improper payments to the Trump Hotel for event space during the 2017 inauguration. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, now back to you. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. More of you news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And the CDC has revised their previous recommendations for coronavirus quarantines, which had previously been up to 14 days. Brenda Cancino has details on these new guidelines. The Centers for the Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, decreased the quarantine period they recommend to a person who has came in contact with a patient infected with coronavirus. They used to advise 14 days. Now they recommend 10 days as long as there are no symptoms. Or you can keep a quarantine of 7 days as long as you test negative. Dr. Gilberto Concepcion says the changes are understandable because as more is known about the virus, the recommendations about how to face it change. I find it logical, he says. This is based on scientific data, and I think it's a prudent thing for people who do not have to be in 14 days self-quarantine. But after seven days, if you have a negative test, you can stop it because the possibility that that person is infected is low. The CDC also says that the best thing to do to stay safe in the holidays is to not travel. Still follow the recommendation to have a negative result one to three days before traveling. 
And if you travel, when you return, if you're going to have a test done, you must be in self-quarantine for seven days. For many people, the reduction in quarantine time is a great relief. I see that they have reduced it in order to solve this problem. I also think that it depends on oneself. I think that ultimately, we should follow the experts' opinions, because we're only regular people who can suffer from that disease. As long as it is to take care of citizens, it should be welcome. The CDC insists that regardless of the quarantine period, people should be aware of any symptoms within 14 days of exposure to the virus. Reported by Vilma Tarazona in Miami, Brenda Cancino, U News. And now to New York, where the opening of a new clinic in a mostly Latino neighborhood is bringing neighbors and residents some relief, even as coronavirus cases surge in the city. Blanca Rosa Vilches explains. In Washington Heights and in a Latino community, <laughs> the opening of the first urgent medical care is for sure a great news in the middle of a pandemic. Cases are not normal, but they don't have to be in the ER. It's sort of that transition that we can take care of these patients and from there we can send them back to their community physicians um, or um, they can go back to work if they work at night. But these are after-hour clinics. Cases that have saturated the emergency system in the city and now can be seen in this center immediately. Anybody that has asthma, anybody that has a cold, the flu, that can't breathe, right? So it's a great place to come. And they can also get a COVID-19 test totally free. I need them to come and get tested. If they get tested, we're able to help them out, tell them what to do. They don't understand sometimes. They're afraid also even asking. And I know we're giving a lot of information over the news, but sometimes they see so much information that the basic thing that they need to learn, they don't learn it. But if they come here, they'll be able to talk to us, we'll be able to explain in a safe environment and they can go back home. And if they are positive, then they can just stay home and not spread it to everybody else. The center also welcomes patients who are undocumented and don't have medical insurance. The center will remain open during the weekend, 24 hours a day. In New York, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. The U.S. is temporarily removing some staff from its U.S. Embassy in Baghdad over concerns of retaliation around the anniversary of the death of a powerful Iranian military commander. That's according to people familiar with the decision. One U.S. official said the plan will take place in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, in Latin America, today a biomedical center in Brazil received one million doses of a Chinese coronavirus vaccine developed by Sinovac Biotech that's currently in late stage trials in Sao Paulo State. It is the second shipment of the vaccine to arrive in Brazil after 120,000 doses landed from China on November 19th. Now in Peru, police on Wednesday shut off a stash of nearly $6 million in counterfeit U.S. dollars confiscated during an operation. That mission also resulted in the arrest of one person. Police raided a site in Lima on Tuesday where they found the fake money. According to local media, the individual detaining the operation has been arrested for similar offenses in the past. 
In Argentina, new details in the death investigation of the soccer legend Diego Armando Maradona. Investigators began a toxicology report and they will analyze the state of his heart tissue, which according to a source was larger than normal. Diego Maradona passed away on November 25th of cardiac arrest. Now in Mexico, there's a bakery that has become famous not only for their treats, but also because of the owner and everything he has been through. Azul Alvarez has more on his amazing story. The hands that make this bread belong to a man who, despite suffering, has never given up and now spends his days sweetening the life of others with his creations. Manuel Castro is 69 years old, and two decades ago, both of his legs were amputated due to complications after a car accident. I made it a point not to be ashamed and to state the same. This baker lives in Huamuchil, in the Mexican state of Sinaloa, and started working at a very young age when he became an orphan. I lived alone. My father died when I was eight years old, and there I was, selling lollipops, selling gum, selling newspapers. He was 11 years old when he became an apprentice in his neighborhood bakery, and after the accident, he's been helped by his wife, Maria Gloria Rojo. Manuel had 20 operations to save his legs, but none were successful. I turned around and there were consequences for my legs, but thank God here we are alive. He was very meticulous, very accommodating. Now, with the pandemic, Don Manuel, instead of succumbing to depression, has started to work harder. This is the cortadillo. It's very good. And thanks to the support of his neighbors and the publicity he's received on social media, his determination is now very well known. The small bakery that he installed in his house with the oven that his son built for him is now famous all over Sinaloa. A father like him, with that initiative, with that capacity in spite of his condition, is an example. In his bakery, Don Manuel shares the antidote he found for sadness, to get busy with something because in spite of everything, life goes on. Get ahead and don't flinch. Reported by Jessica Cermeño, this is Azul Alvarez, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.